Okay, welcome to Ross Growth. This is the episode 30. I am here with Ray Kanani, who is the head of product right now at Intellex. Intellex is a B2B SaaS company that creates enterprise compliance software in health and safety and quality. Ray used to lead the UX team and co-founded several businesses and is a transformational leader with over 12 years of experience building, nurturing, and leading high-performance teams. We actually used to work with Ray. Part of We're part of a product management book club. Um, but it's a pleasure, Ray, to have you here on the show. Cool. Pleasure to be here. So you are... You post a lot on Medium, or used to post a lot on Medium, and mm. I pulled a lot of interesting insights from it. And one of them was, this is what you read. I think well, this one might have been from Twitter, actually. I find it interesting that people dream of standing out by spending time, but spending their time fitting in. Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? Um... Yeah, I, I, I don't think I have a strong answer for why. I, I think, you know, if I was to reflect, I think that um, growing up, a lot of us were told by our parents or teachers or just, you know, authority figures that the job is to fit in. Um, so, you know, don't, don't embarrass me. Don't uh, mm, make yeah. loud noises. Um yeah don't conform to in terms of what you wear and i mean i grew up we had to wear a school uniform um you had to get certain grades give the give the same answers as everyone else right? right um so i think like in our in our kind of defining years the messages fit in you know and more importantly don't stand out don't don't be the because because i mean I think for a lot of uh, a lot of people, if you're the nail that sticks out, which is you know the, the thing that stands out, it it hurts people, right? Like people trip on it, people rip their socks on it. Like it's not good for <laughs> others. <laughs> uh, and so you know they come they come with the hammer and they try to hammer you back in. And I think as a kid, it's hard to 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 kind of pull your weight against an authority figure so we realized that standing out is maybe not such a good idea because um you know we, we there are repercussions um so I, I maybe that's why people spend a lot of time trying to fit in totally um, yeah i mean i was just curious to to hear your thoughts because i think it's such a such a big deal right now everybody you know he everybody wants to be you know loud and 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 be a thought leader Mm. but it comes with certain as you would say in product management trade-offs well i and i think that um it's okay to fit in like that's not a problem right like i think it's it's fine like um where i where i kind of have a problem is when i meet people who seem to aspire to be like those who have made that decision not to fit in right mm-hmm. um to be at times called the weirdo the the loser the nerd yeah. um the person that can't hold down the nine to five right um but they aspire to be like them because maybe now they're financially comfortable and they're applauded by the media um 
And I question if they really want to mm. be like these people, right? Because it takes a certain... And it's, you know, it's, it's a great point where people are taken... They are... It's really a big distinction to, to make when, you know, when somebody wants to be like Steve Jobs mm. or like Tom Billio or like all those famous entrepreneurs mm. is you, you shouldn't really be like them. You, you can take all of the things that you'll enjoy or like, maybe focus on quality or focus on hard work, but not to try to emulate because that leads to that trap. Yeah, I mean, you can if you want. Uh, <laughs> you can really do whatever you want. I just think that you, got, you, you might want to just get comfortable being uncomfortable first. That, that might be the place you start with. So... This is, I believe, what you wrote on Medium. I'm more, I'm more interested in working with people who have taken the time to deliberately practice their craft, pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone to grow in a direction that is meaningful for them. Uh, and it takes months of deliberate practice over years of mundane, shallow work every time. Is this your approach to hiring or making friends with people or there's a, how, how do you define, like, what is the line between that? Is it professional or personal? Um, I mean, I don't think I have much of a social life outside of my professional life. So I tend to, tend to prioritize my professional life. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, professionally, 100%. I think that I'm more interested in people who... Uh, are spending really focused time thinking about something they're truly passionate about um, than someone who says, you know, I've been in this industry 20 years in a particular role. Um, I, I don't... I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of uh, the jobs out there don't... Um, don't facilitate deliberate practice like that's something you kind of have to do on your own that like testing and iterate mm -hmm. and get that feedback and try new things and uh, continuously learn I, I think spending time with entrepreneurs they they tend to do that like that's the entrepreneurial way right like uh, yeah uh, whereas you know in in the nine to fives you don't really get that much feedback real-time feedback at least to to kind of learn and iterate mm -hmm. uh, um, so yeah, I, I think that was more of a observation on, especially on job descriptions where I see like 10 plus years of experience and All I think time. like, what does that mean? Does that mean you've, you've, you have, you've had a title for 10 plus years? Mm -hmm. Like what, what does that get you? Yeah. And is that really a good screening criteria for if someone's going to be a good fit in your company. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So you're head of product when you are looking for new hires, mm. designers, product managers, mm. you're doing an interview. What are you looking for primarily <laughs> in, a, in, a, in somebody, in a candidate? Sure. Um, I, I think that a lot of candidates want a title or they want a salary or they want to work in tech. I hear that a lot. I want to work in tech. I think you, I've seen, I've, I've heard your rant. I've yeah, read your rant about yeah. it. Uh, I, when people say I want to work in tech, it's like <laughs> crazy. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, why? Um, 
sometimes it's because the salaries right mm-hmm. um or the or the lunches or whatever um i look for passion of in the market so if for if for us we're in the ehsq market if someone if someone's applying for the role my first question is you know what do you know about ehsq right and, and right. what what's interesting to you about it where do you think it's going um what excites you about it what frustrates you about it uh what are some things you're seeing from other from 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 solutions in the market kind of what do you think about them um and if you don't have strong opinions in this then it's probably not the market you want to be spending mm-hmm. a significant amount of time thinking about, right? Because yeah. as a product manager, you're going to be thinking about the market a lot. Um, and, and yeah, I need people who, who genuinely enjoy doing that. Athletes have trainers that support them when they fail. Mm. They get time to recover and improve. And then when an employee fails, uh, well, there's kind of nobody really to support them. You, I believe you wrote that a while ago. What do you think about that statement now? Is there anybody to support it or support you or support an employee? Is there a way that people develop their support, like self-support? Or how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I think self-support is really important. Um, but I don't think um, that it... I, I think too many employers fall back on this idea that, hey, we pay you a bunch of money. Um, we provide you with a, a nice office. And it's your responsibility to to make sure that you go t- to a nice home where you feel relaxed and can unwind. Mm, and yeah. you eat a nice meal. And <laughs> um, you have that opportunity to just kind of decompress, right? right. Like. I don't think that's on the employee at all. I think that, you know, it's like a sports team saying, hey, you're an athlete and we pay you a bunch of money, so we're not going to invest in trainers or practice or Mm -hmm. uh, mental health coaching or, like, that's on you. You figure that out yourself. Um, I don't think that team would do very well. Uh, So I I see that the same as, as... we evolve it towards knowledge work and really we really have high expectations of of our team in terms of the outcomes that they're driving especially in growth organizations like intellects Um, we need to ensure that we surround these high performers with the the tools and the ceremonies to really um, to to push themselves and sometimes they'll push themselves too far. It's inevitable, mm-hmm. right? Like it happens. You yeah. see it in sports all the time. Yeah. But, um, and we need to give them the opportunity to say, okay, yeah, I pushed myself too hard. I got to take a step back. I got to, I got to take some time to reflect mm-hmm. and, and learn. Right. And uh, I think not many people, I don't know if many people see mental health the same as physical health, but I, I do. And I think when you do push yourself mentally, you need to take time, um, to kind of unwind and and so that you don't injure yourself yeah i mean i think physical and mental health uh, end of the day will be very similar because it's i mean you can't have one or the other it's Mm. there they all have to function to be functioning Mm -hmm. properly to be a high performer you i mean uh it it, yeah so it's it's very it's i feel like the balance 
will be super important and the balance will be different for each person. Right. And I think that being in the EHSQ industry where a lot of our customers are in manufacturing um, and kind of that labor intensive work, when I go to site visits, you know, they have a nurse on staff, they have a gym, they have mm. um, physios. Um, and it makes sense, right? Like you're using your body every yeah. day and, and they want to make sure that these people don't hurt themselves. And if they do, they have the right support to, to get better. You go into an office, you know, they got free lunch, like a, you know, like a tech uh, technology company. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to that whole technology thing. <laughs> yes. Again. Okay, let, let's rephrase it. Knowledge work. So you, you go into like organizations where knowledge is the primary um, kind of labor that, that people are putting in. Uh, and they have lunches and they have ga- like pool and games and maybe to unwind. But oftentimes people feel guilty about taking these things on. They think they have to be in at a certain time and... Yeah, the amount of time that the amount of times people come to me and like, hey, I'm gonna be out of the office before five today. It's like, yeah, like <laughs> do your thing, right? Like, yeah. I'm not tracking hours. I, we're tracking outcomes here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you can get to your outcome um, without being in the office, then cool. Like, that's yep. fine. I, I think there are certain outcomes where you do need to come into the office, and that's why we have the office. Right. Um, but this is not a factory. <laughs> this right. is not an industrial type of job yeah. where you have to clock in, clock yeah, out. Exactly. I wanted to talk about B2B and B2C industries. They are very likely, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, they they think of them as two, two very different, but I think you're making uh, a really good point that they are very close. They are similar because in a B2B, it doesn't really matter if you're selling to businesses. Your end of the day, you're still be selling to customers or the, or end users will be people who will be using the product. And um, I read the book How Google Works mm. recently, uh, and they talked about how Google bought Motorola. And Motorola at that time was focused on their customers. And when they said customers, they really meant carriers. Mm. So they were developing a ton of phones literally for carriers, not for, for end users. They didn't even consider the end users. Where do you, like, how do you approach B2B versus B2C uh, to make sure that uh, even if it's a B2B solution, it's still focused on the customer, end customer or end user? Yeah, I think that you have to unpack the pains and ambitions of the person you're selling to. So usually it's in this in this case a carrier right mm-hmm. um, and so what a carriers want they probably want retention um, they probably want usage um, mm-hmm. and so you need to show them that by creating great end user experiences they can achieve the outcomes that they want and that's that's important to do more than anything else um, you you need to sell. You need to sell why focusing on the end user is important to the buyer. Um, and uh, and again, like it, it's not like you bypass the carriers and say, "Hey, we're just going to focus on the end user and screw you." If we don't care, right? Like the carrier is important because they pay the bills, 
oftentimes B2B, like yeah. there's someone who pays significant amount of money for your service or product. Um, and so you really need to show that you have their best interest in mind. And sometimes you do have to say, our values don't align, right? And you have to turn down some customers who maybe don't care about the same things you do in terms of end user satisfaction. That's fine. Yeah. You just have to say, that's cool. Like you're prioritizing something maybe shorter term than what we're looking at or something that we just don't haven't, we don't believe in yet. Maybe we will later, but not right now. Um, and you have to be willing to turn some of that business down. So when you worked, I think one of your early, I want to go back to your career. You worked as a director at SmartPix. It was one of your uh, early um, jobs. You designed prototypes. You were running marketing. How did you think? I was a, I was a founder. You were the founder yeah. as well. Uh, you did pretty much everything. <laughs> uh, how did you figure all of that out in terms of where to start, what to test, uh, what was your thinking process like? Because, and the reason I'm asking it is, you know, there's a lot of people who want to do something. They want to create that project or, or maybe be a founder and they don't really know where to start. How did you, what was your thinking process behind that? I honestly, I don't think I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, that was the, that was one of the first ones we did. Um, I think I got really lucky in terms of, uh, people I co-founded the company with. I think as co-founders, you ca you have to have a healthy disrespect for each other in terms of uh, <laughs> thinking. Yeah. Um, we got in arguments a lot. Never, it's never in terms of a personal attacks or um, uh, hostility in, in terms like that. But, but we argued in terms of strategy and I think it was a really good thing because you know I had a technical co-founder I had a sales driven co-founder mm -hmm. and I was kind of in the middle focused on design and we were all right you know we just saw it from different perspectives mm -hmm. and we didn't let that stop us we we were very fortunate in terms of getting something into a market where people were kind of pulling it from our hands. So we got product market fit relatively quickly. Um, and that, you know, that didn't come too easily. It took about two pivots. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we really hacked stuff together to figure it out, which was great. We didn't even know. Uh, it was funny because we didn't raise, we didn't raise any money. Um, and so me and my sales co-founder and and my technical co-founder was like in school studying computer science at the time so he didn't have a lot of time so we would have ideas and we would be like okay well he's not going to build it because he doesn't have the time yeah. so we would just we would kind of just do stuff manually right uh, we didn't know that was the right thing to do hmm. uh, it was the, it was necessity right like we we had put ourselves in a situation where we had no money or we couldn't build anything at the time in terms of technical know-how um, and so, and that I was, I would encourage people to do it that way too today, even if you could, right? Sometimes, sometimes the lack of limitations, the ability to build whatever you want and raise as much money um, can, can really put you off course. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think you talked about that when you, you know, when with limited resources, you mm. can still build really exceptional products. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, how do you prioritize 
those decisions were what to focus on. And, you know, like when you have, say, 10 initiatives, you you probably can really focus only on two or one. How, what was, how does that really, uh, what's, what's the workflow or what's the thinking process behind that? Uh, is it all focused on the customer or how do you approach that? I can, I can maybe speak to where we're at at Intellect's right now because I know that best because that's what we're in. Sure. I think it's very different from uh, pre-product market fit and post-product market fit in terms of how you prioritize. I think with the organization that's 500 people and growing very quickly, um, how you prioritize is it has a lot to do with um, obviously the feedback from a customer and all, all that fun stuff that everyone kind of knows about already. But I think what a lot of people don't think about is organizational alignment. And um, I feel like it's sometimes more valuable to build the stuff that the organization is aligned to and ready to sh deliver. Um, so they're like, can we deliver this versus the should we deliver this? Um, actually does matter, right? Yeah. Like I think it's, uh, as a designer, we're often like, well, it's more of should we, right? Do people even want this thing? Yeah. Um, well, I've been in projects where we decide this is the thing we should and we haven't talked to anyone in the organization and got buy-in from marketing and sales and the CEO and... Um, and it just sits on a shelf, right? Um, because you've already got product market fit. So the thing that you're building, people already want mm -hmm. at, at its core. Right now, you're, you're thinking about the augmented value, the, the things that wrap around that core value that you deliver. Um, and understanding what the business is tuned to deliver and capable of delivering is a really important piece of prioritizing your roadmap. And how do you ensure the speed of execution as well? You know, uh, I mean, it, in, in an organization, an enterprise organization uh, like yours, it's, it's probably not going to be, it won't be as important uh, as in, in a startup, mm. in a smaller startup. But like, how do you, when you are getting a product market fit or you have a lot of competitors who, are mo who move really fast, how do you make sure that you can ship really, really fast? And is, is there a certain cultural alignment that needs to happen there? Uh, like and I'll give you an example. Like for example, company Drift, uh, the chatbot company from Boston, they ship a completely new product every month. Uh, so they have certain processes around that to be able to do that. Um, and I've heard it's fully automated Q and A um, process that they run uh, to be able to do that because otherwise they won't have enough time. Mm. How how does that speed factor uh, work in um, like in your team? I think that if you want to go fast, you need to do the really hard things first. So figure out what the really hard things are first and do them. Um, some people might focus on the low-hanging fruit because it looks like they're making progress, right? Mm -hmm. And progress is not linear, right? It's not like oh, we're 80% there, so if that 80% took us eight days, then we have two more days to go to get the remaining 20%, right? Yeah. Like, it, you, you gotta, um, 
you know, there's a saying I didn't come up with. I don't know who did, but someone mm-hmm. smarter than me. They, it's focus on the monkey, and it's you know, if I asked you to get a monkey on a pedestal by the end of the day, what's the thing that you do first, right? And some mm-hmm. people might say, oh, I'll get the pedestal because like I know how to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, okay, so now you have a pedestal. How close are you? Probably like point zero zero one percent close to success, right? Yeah. Um, focus on the monkey, get that done, put everything you got into it, and then the easy stuff, we'll figure it out, right? Because we know. Well, there, there, there you go. This is how this is how this is how it's done. What is the best compliment you ever received? Oh, um, I think the only one that really comes to mind is, uh, you know, from my sisters just saying that I'm a good big brother to them. Um, I think that that's one of those things that is hard to get a read on. Um, I know I haven't, I ha- you know, 30 plus years I haven't really um, I'm sure I've, I've not been great as a big brother at times <laughs> and so yeah hear, hearing that is, is great and those are the things that are, are important to me more than um, you know good job with shipping a product or uh, speaking on stage or whatnot, right like relationship matter yeah, and like the, the the people that you grew up with and experienced challenges with that are really kind of the defined who you are. So, I know you are a big fan of books. You run one book club, which was a product book club. Now you run, I believe, a designer book club. What are some of the? And there are a ton of great books. I've seen them myself. What are some of the books that you keep coming back to and those don't necessarily have to be from product or design, just the ones that you found really, really impactful for you? I think um, good strategy, bad strategy is a good one. Um, The coaching habit is a good one. Mm -hmm. Five dysfunctions of team. Those are the ones that kind of jump out at me just because they're top of mind for me and those those are books I'm actively rereading right now but I think there's like every book I've read there's been something about it that has stuck with me and depending on where I'm at in life I might come back to it because I think like oh I, I kind of want to re-read that lesson and just remind myself of the details of that mm-hmm. um, thing that has stuck with me uh, so I, I, there's no like one book I think people have got to read and reread. I think it's all situational in terms of where you're at in life. Um, just read. I would encourage people just to read. Really, like yeah, grab a book and go read it. So yeah, you guys heard it first. Go read the book. <laughs> where's uh, Ray? Where's everybody can find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter, um, Ray Kanani. Uh, I also am, I'm, I'm working on a, a, a page called Coffee's on Me. So if you want to schedule time with me, you can go to 
go to my Twitter. My the link is there, but it's it's beta dot coffees on dot me forward slash Ray Canani, and you can schedule thirty minutes with me and chat about stuff. Um, and we will link it in the show notes so everybody sure. can yeah. can can check it out. Awesome. Um, yeah, those are the places. Obviously, GitHub, LinkedIn, Medium, all that fun stuff. What impact would you like to have with uh, the work that you've done so far and the work that you that you keep doing? I would like those around me to um, know that whatever it is that they really, really want, they can get it, right? Like, I know it's challenging. I know there's a ton of, uh, there, there's things that are hurdles for some people and not hurdles for other people. Um, I know that it's scary because we've been told again, you know, fit in and, and failure is bad. Uh, try, don't try new things because it makes you f- look like you don't know kind of what you want or what you're doing and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I just want to be that hopefully supporting uh, person to, to just encourage people. You want that? You know, go 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 for it, right? Like I'm I'm here for you. I'm not gonna laugh at you. I'll encourage you. I'll pick you up if you fall. Mm-hmm. I'll 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 sh- I'll fall in front of you too, right? Like I'll I'll, I'll push myself and look stupid as well. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Everyone that I meet has so much untapped potential that I just want to kind of be that force to hopefully just turn that potential or, or, or turn that potential into actual tangible stuff um, by, by hopefully being a support mechanism for them. So I think a lot of people worry about finances, worry about what people think, worry about relationships. Um, worry about getting fired just what that means uh, and and i hope that like especially for friends and family who maybe value my opinion a bit more than others <laughs> uh i can say you know go for it like and i'll go for it with you and we'll both look stupid and we'll both stand out and we'll both have people around us telling us you know yeah. what are you thinking why are you doing that mm-hmm. and, yeah Ray, it was a pleasure to uh, have mm-hmm. you here on the show. Thanks a lot for, for coming. No problem. Thanks for having me.